The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Extended. Hi, this is Peter Johnson from Aerospace Radio Station Extended. And we bring you some of Europe's best guests. He's, he's been something of, of an unsung hero of the American space program outside those who are, have made it their business to become aficionados of it. News. Some people will call you mad. Some people will call you heroes. Uh, uh, and everyone else is probably somewhere in that spectrum. It's uh, it's an amazing project to, to pull together from literally from scratch. And views. You've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and learn from that experience. And that's not an easy thing to do, Peter, learning from your own failure. So why not give us a listen if you want to hear about warbirds, aviation and the aerospace industry? Come over and give us a visit. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extended. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from WarbirdRadio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening, and hope to hear from you sometime at WarbirdRadio.com. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota, and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Back in 2012, I had the opportunity to sit down and do a quick interview with Jack Davis who was a wireless operator air gunner in the Royal Air Force and flew in Halifax bombers with the Royal Canadian Air Force Squadron, number 429 Squadron. He was shot down and became a prisoner of war. Here's Jack. Well, just take me back a little bit to when you got into the service and, and where you'd come from to go get into the Air Force. Oh, we joined, I joined up at... Uh, I had to go to Bristol for my uh, aircrew medical and then I was on deferred service for a few months and then they called me up and we went to, I was a wireless op, so I went to Blackpool, did initial training and you had to pass your Morse code, etc. up to 10 words a minute, you know, plain language and code. And then you, if you did that, you went to the radio school and became a wireless op. Right. Okay. Uh, one thing that I've um, normally asked and forgot to ask was your date of birth and place of birth. And 18521. At in uh, well, it's a, a little place called near Newport in Wales. Okay, okay. What's the name of it? Castleton. 
Castle Town. Oh right, yeah, there's a wharf there, isn't there? Uh, no, a dock I, no. Oh. There's, there's a war, there's a dock in Newport, but this is between Newport and Cardiff. Ah, right. Okay. Way out in the country, I was born. Right, right. Okay, so you trained as a, a wireless operator. Yeah, and a gunner. And a gunner. Okay. Yeah, we did the wireless course, and then we went on what they call point to point on ground duty for a little while, till we went back onto our aircrew course. Okay. And. Uh, then I went, uh, I had a couple of postings, but I won't tell you about that because uh, when, I, when I went back in the Air Force, I had a course in London and Madeley and then to the gunnery school. From there I went to OTU and uh, the Canadians arrived in the UK and they didn't have any wireless operators. So I was posted to Canadian Squadron. Okay. Uh, I did three, about three months there at OTU with them. And then AFU to go on to, from the small bombers on to Halifax's. And then I was there about five or six weeks, did a couple of ops, and that was the end of me. Okay, so what was the squadron you went on to? 429 Canadian. And what were you flying? Halifax. Halifax, all right. Yeah. Okay. What were they like to be in as an aircraft? Very good. Quite good because in the Halifax you've got uh, the pilot and the engineer up the top and I'm downstairs in the navigator. We work together, you see, and then there's a bomb aimer in the front and the two gunners. And then I, I, I went to a 49 squadron in Yorkshire, Leeming Bar, and <coughs> we flew from there. And uh, in the... Uh, we were going to Manheim in uh, uh, September '43. We got shot down just as we came to the target. And uh, three of the three of the crew got killed, and the rest of us got out. And uh, the very last thing I did, they all got out the plane. Just me and the pilot left, so I go up the little stairs and fixed his shoot onto him and said, get the hell out, Smithy. And I went down the front, through the little hole, and out I came, and uh, pulled my chute, and I thought, well, I might be landing in the river. Got my Mae West blown up, you know. And uh, I wasn't many minutes, and I was down on the ground. And I, it was pitch black at night, you see, and uh, I landed in a, a forest. So my chute, was over the top of the trees and I'm swinging and I didn't know how long I was going to be there or how long I, I was 10 foot up or 2 foot you know so I released the buckle there and I fall into Germany like falling off this chair I was very very lucky not a scratch Wow. and then we went to an interrogation centre did you get caught immediately? no I got caught I had about 3 days on the run All right. but I got caught I went into a little barn and Probably go and have a kick, and the next thing I got a bayonet up my bum. <laughs> so, uh, that, therefore, uh, we had interrogation, and then we went to Stalag 4B. We had a few days on the on the wagons. I think they put about 60 of us in the wagon and put us in the sidings every time there was a race. So it took a few days to get to Stalag 4B, and that's where I was for the rest of the war. What was the Starlog like? Well, it was built for 10,000, there was 30,000 at the end of the war. 
I think there was about a, anywhere between 150 and 200 in each hut. And later on, I, uh, I changed identities with a paratrooper who got caught in Holland. And I, he, he was uh, detailed to go out on a working party. He didn't want to go, so we swapped identities. So I went out as Casatari, and he stayed in the camp as me. And we went to a, a soap factory in Chemnitz. And um, the Yanks came over for a couple of days, dropped a few odd bombs, and there was about 12 of us in the hut in the allotments. And uh, the next night, the raft came over, and the guards say, uh, Right, you've got to get down in the basement. And we said, We're going to stay in our bunks. And the next thing, everything's bouncing up. So we all shoot down, and we get under the table. And the next thing, the hut goes up in flames. So we're running through Chemnitz and uh, people jumped out. I think about 6,000 people got killed that night, or six to eight. And the guards took us way out, out to the town. We had a job to keep up with them. <laughs> and then uh, I think uh, they brought us back and they put us in an army barracks. And uh, I spent a few days shoveling a bit of uh, rubbish off the streets and dragging a few bodies out and putting them in the bags and things like that. And uh, uh, we decided then that we'd take off, it was three of us, and uh, we walked into a farmyard thinking we'd get, get some uh, spuds or carrots, put them under mounds in Germany. And I thought, uh, we walked in the yard, and there's about 2,000 German soldiers all lined up, ready to go to the Russian front, because we, we were well into Germany, Eastern Germany. Yeah. And uh, the next thing, we took off, like a pass out of hell. The next thing comes a little felt rebel down the road and said, who are you guys? And we said, oh, we're working on the farms. Where's your pass? We did that one. Packed the Stalag 4B. And then I ended up in the cooler for about 50 or 20 days. I can't remember quite. <coughs> but I was very lucky there because a Mustang came over and strapped the German area of the club, uh, the camp, and we happened to be in that pad that night, and above me, on this bunk, there was a Russian guy, and he got killed. That's how close I was. How many times I, my nine lives or whatever, cuts the nine colors, what you That's my story. And then we, uh, the Russians marched us about six or uh, ten miles and put us in a little town called Halle, and they put us in an army barracks. And the three of us got out under the fence one morning. And we nicked a few bikes. And we were on the way to the Yankee lines. And the Russian uh, soldiers came along and uh, stopped us. Wanted to know who we were, where we were going. And we said, uh, we're going to the Yankee lines. And they said, you know. It's a couple of shielders in the barn, they want that. We said, no, we want some essence for something to eat. So they took us in this house. The German family was sitting around waiting to have a meal. So he pulls out a gun and said, you wrote Germans? Out, feed these three boys. We fed ourselves and we got on the bikes and rode back to Yankee Lines. And when we got the Yankee Lines, of course you go in their canteen, they got huge meals and ice cream and cigarettes and chocolate. We couldn't eat it, our stomachs were contracted so much. So that's my story. <laughs> what a story! <laughs>
And the strange thing was, the three of us uh, joined together. Uh, we went to different OTUs and squadrons, but we all ended up in Stalag 4B. And when I got there, Inky, he's already there. And he shouts so, so, oh, Spike, he said, I've got a bunk for you. There were three tier bunks and three aside, and 18 there is about, but like I say, about 150 anyway, 150 and a couple of under there. And he got a bunk for me on the bottom bunk. And then eventually he went from the middle one to the top one. So I got in the middle one. And Taffy Wardell, he was in the bottom one. And uh, we went home for a holiday, the wife and I, about 10 years ago. And we decided we'd try to find out where he was. Taffy Wardell and Inky, well, met Inky was a copper. And uh, he said to my wife, he said, I always felt sorry for Spike in the Stalag. And she said, why would you be sorry for Spike? She said, because I'm up the top goal, and I guess, and all the likes are falling down on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my story. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's really, really interesting. And you mentioned that you recently went back to the Bomber Command yeah. Memorial. Can you tell me about yeah. that? Well, Barry and I, Barry took me back, see? The, uh, Kiwi guys, they got paid by the government, so we had to pay our own fare. So we had a nice trip, didn't we, Barry? And I'm, I lost my wife about nine months ago, so I went to see her brother, and we stayed with them for four or five days, and then I went to see my brother, and then I went to see my other brother, who was going to be 100 in December. Wow. And uh, we went out for a meal with them, didn't we? And then, then we saw my, my cousin's son, he's, a, he's the Queen's bodyguard, and he took us out for a meal. So we had a great time, didn't we, Barry? And what about the actual unveiling itself? The, uh, the actual unveiling itself? Oh, very good, but uh, we, we were quite a way back. They put the, I got a disc there with, when the key was right at the front line. Well, and the old Charlie boy came along and shook hands with us and said, how do you do sort of thing? Not very much. And then, uh, that was a bit of it, wasn't it, Barry? We went back to the United Services Club. Yeah, so we went, went to the United Services Club. Union Jack Club. Yeah. Did, did you um, have any Kiwis in the camp or in your squadron during the war? No, no. There was a few Kiwis in, uh, in the static war B. A couple of guys from Christchurch, but it was mostly uh, Canadians, or, you know, UK or South Africans, Australians. Raw mix-up. Whereabouts was Starlight 4B actually situated? Uh, it's a place called Moolberg on Elbe. Okay, so you weren't forced to march like a lot of the other camps were? No, no. You were already in the central... The only, the only march we did was when the, the Russians, when they took over the camp, the Cossacks came, you know, the horses. When they took over the camp, they put these, uh, I think it was Hungarian guards on the camp, and they kept us here for a couple of days, uh, a couple of weeks, and then they marched us to Halley. And uh, I got back to the UK in the big... Headlines in the Daily Mail were, where are the prisoners from Sally 4B? They still kept them there, so they were quite late coming home. And there was all nationalities in the camp. 
you know, like there's Dutch and French and UK and Russians and all sorts. Uh, what happened to the other members of your crew who survived? Did they end up in the same camp? No. One, one did, the engineer, flight engineer, but the uh, navigator and the bomb aimer, they went to a different camp. I'm not quite sure which one it was now. But I'd been back to uh, Canada for a reunion and met my old navigator. Had quite a good time there. And do you guys keep in touch through mail and that sort of thing? Well, this is the first Christmas I haven't heard from him, so I think he was a few years older than me. Mark Weicker, dental surgeon. He had a very posh house in Canada. <laughs> right. Um, when you were actually training, uh, your um, wireless operator air gun training, what were you finding then? As a training I think I went the first one in a little proctor, just the pilot and myself, and we had to take him around on course, you know. And then we went on to Whitley's at OTU. And then we had an accident. We were doing circuits and bumps one night, and we went up half a dozen times. And the next thing, I think the prop came off, the old Whitley. And um, my pilot, Sergeant Pilot, and uh, there was a Kiwi, he was a Flight Louie. He was instructing him, so he took over. We landed uh, probably for five or six miles from the airport. And I busted all my ribs, but uh, we all got out safe. And the only thing I can remember was New Zealand on his shoulder. I never did find out because when I went to the hospital for a week or two, they'd all gone their different ways. I often thought I would like to met that guy. Because he saved our lives and that we all got out. He barely landed in a ploughed field. Wow. Okay. So the champ life in lots of ways, didn't I? Sounds like it. <laughs> Sounds like it. Excellent. Is there anything other other stories that you can sort of think of? No, I think that's enough for today. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a little story about this Taffy Wardale. When he got shot down, I think he, he landed in a sewage farm or something, and he was very short of clothes. And we had a big long pull of us from there down to about your knees. And uh, I think, I forget this other, it was an Australian guy called Jim something. And he was a great big bloke, he was an air gunner, and uh, he did a lot of knitting. And uh, Taff said, if he can do it, I can do it. So we, we took he took my jersey apart. He made two sleeveless pullovers out of it, and uh, the one is in the museum in Hendon in, like, in the UK. But I told him my story, and it's in the museum there. My wife said, I'll take that pullover with me, and I said, oh, it's a waste of time. They wouldn't want to know anything about that, but that's what they were interested in, what you did and what happened in the camp. And this big Aussie guy, they used to take the bed boards out of our bed to put in the trenches when they were taking the escape routes. And of course, old Jim, he fell from the top and right through to the bottom one. And he was a huge bloke. <laughs> what other things did you guys get up to in the camp like that that, that the Germans didn't know about? Oh, well, uh, there was uh, a lot of uh, army guys and uh, air force guys and 
we used to get some stuff uh, equipment from the Red Cross, like say soccer balls and a few clothes and things. But they made a they had a little type of cinema going there, but I don't think I ever got to it. Well, it's quite a big camp, wouldn't it? That area. Yeah. Uh, well, we didn't do very much because uh, you used to get you out of bed about seven in the morning and put take you out to the parade and count you, and then uh, if uh, the RAF had been over Leipzig that night, the old felt way we'd keep you out parade in the middle of the day. The bugger. One too good in the winter either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Gunners course was a, was a bit of a farce actually, it was only 10 days and we had a, a, a recognised about 30 planes and stripped the guns and put them together and put them together and take them apart and the one day he said, right, we've got a turret there, about this high off the ground and he gets a bit, I get up in the chart and he said, see such and such a thing over there? I said, yeah. He said, will you fire that? He went, Brr! He said, that's enough, we're out of ammunition. You're an air gunner. <laughs> Fortunately, he didn't have to fire as an air gunner. Because <coughs> the two gunners got killed. And the pilot, he was too late. He didn't get out, he went down with the plane. And I got his shoot on him and I said, can you get out? Because he went out the top and I went, down the three steps and out the bottom. Stan Spitty never got out. He was my best mate. I used to take him home and leave with me. He used to say, I'm taking you back to Vancouver after the war. And I think they had a bit of money. He said, you won't need to worry about a job. I think they own a supermarket or something. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but he never survived. How, how did you find out, like, or when? Was it quite a bit later on that you found out that he'd, he'd died? Or? Yeah, yeah. Must have been hard living at home. Yeah, he was, uh, he was one of my best mates in the air. We went together. I was with him about five months, you see, six months. What about that? Tower his drink. Frozen. Oh, that, that, that. No, Tower Gunner. Yeah. His drink, frozen. Oh, that was in London. Was, I met an air gunner. They'd done 58 trips in Lanks and uh, I said you're lucky to survive as an air gunner and he said oh, there's me in the back turret freezing with a can of orange juice or something he said couldn't open it because it's frozen and the pilot would say switch the heat off it's too hot up here and I'm freezing in the back turret the back turret <laughs> and the other day we went to the dinner and sitting across the way I saw a guy with his little caterpillar badge so I went across and had a chat to him and his plane blew up just off the coast and he got back to the UK and he did 60 operations. Unbelievable. Was that here? In that was at the... Yes, I uh, see, at the... Air Force, Air Force dinner. What did you do when you got out of the Air Force? Where'd you go? Well, before the war, I, I learned to trade in uh, the painting and air cream, sideways, and stuff like that. So I went back to work on the uh, local council and Clubber of mine came to New Zealand and he came home after two years and he said, that's the place to go, Jack. He said, all the houses are little bungalows. You don't have to climb up all these great ladders and stuff all day. So I thought I'd give it a go. 
That's why I arrived in New Zealand. When we got there, this fellow jumped off at the wharf in uh, Auckland. He got a little sailor's duffel coat on. And the old wharf, he's sitting there smoking. He says, what sort of coat is that he got on, son? He said, well, it's a sailor's duffel coat. He puffs away and has a few more. He says, you can throw that in the sea in New Zealand. You won't need that. A bit longer, a few more smoke. So he said, where are you going? We said, Dunedin. He said, keep it. Got to Dunedin. There was about six inches of snow on the ground. And I said to wife, gee, I think I've made a mistake. It's colder than Wales. <laughs> well, going, um, going there to the, um, to the Bomber Command reunion, we went to the Guild Hall. Right, yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> they had the front end of a lank there, and Dad was up there and into it and climbing around. I mean, most of the guys couldn't get their leg over to get up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're still pretty sprightly, but, um, but talking to them inside the, the Guild Hall, every one of them had a, had a story. If they lived that long, you know, they've, yeah. they've all had and pretty I, interesting I, times. A lot of them had done a lot of operations. Yeah. I was. Uh, in the RSA in situ, and there used to be about 15 of us to go and drink on a Thursday night, you know, and, and they all disappeared one by one. And uh, I stopped going there then after that. Yeah. But the Air Force, um, the Air Force guys that were with the Kiwi contingent took photographs of them in Guildhall. Yeah, and, yeah. <coughs> and they've got some of Dad with a, a yeah. guy that he met in the situ in RSA. Yeah, and, and I met a. I met a couple of guys from the situ in RSA there. <coughs> right. Yeah. Right. Okay. They took thirty-two over. Thirty-two yeah. guys. So yeah. That was quite interesting. Sure, yeah. And we've just got this morning. I, I forwarded you about a hundred odd photographs from yeah. from Harry Winter, who's one of his mates that he knows oh. in England. Yeah, the, I went to see. Uh, of the sort of ceremony and all the bits and pieces. I went to see this guy Harry Winter, and I went to see Jack <laughs> Whitehouse. Mm -hmm. Two of my old mates when we were over there. Right. So it was good to catch up with him. Yeah. 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 Hey, Colin, what did you do? You, you were in the Wireless Mechanic. He was a, he was right. a. And New Zealand Air Force. Yeah, which. Um, the islands, you? Which squadrons? Uh, oh, I moved around a bit uh, after I left the ENW school. I ended up at On Rahi here for about 10 months. With the Hines? Yeah, the Hines. Really? Yeah. <laughs> My wife um, was in the Range Cross at On Rahi. We lived at On Rahi. And uh, they were doing history of honor right. He said, well, my husband was in the Air Force. He might be able to tell you something about that. So I made up a story for them. And uh, I'll oh, actually okay. go print it out. Okay. Uh, it's, in the, it's in the honor right library too, incidentally. Right, okay. Uh, they, they, okay. Well, well, yeah, I've, I've um, met a few guys who were in the squadron. Um, you probably may remember them. They've made the air crew. Uh, Bill Edhouse? No, I don't remember. Um, uh, Tim Murray? No. They were both air gunners, and then there was Tony Perro, one of the pilots. No. And um, Jeff, Jeff Bentley was the other one. Who yeah, he was, yeah. Uh, he was our CO, wasn't he? No, he was, in the, he was in the CO's office, but he was, um, at that stage, he was only a clerk. Clerk, was he? I remember yeah. the name, Jeff yeah. Bentley, yeah. He only died uh, last week, actually. Right, Lou Gates. Yeah. Um, he was our CO for a while. That's right, he was. I knew him personally, and met in the streets and we were on first name terms. And, and he was wife before he even met us. <laughs> okay. He's not around now though, is he? Oh no, he died a few years back. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I went to air headquarters in Wellington and then I went from there up to Kismet to the uh, to, to Peter Bonus, the convention to Peter Bonus, 31 Squadron. 
Yeah, thirty one, okay, yeah. And then up to the island. The thirty one squadron went away, but the thirty squadron had gone before us and the ground crew had to do twelve months, the air crew only did six months. So our air crew went away and left the ground crew behind. Yeah. So they converted us to the fighter gunnery school. And okay. we shot down the only aircraft in New Zealand during the war. <laughs> that I know of. <laughs> we shot it down there. And uh, our pilot was the CO. And he uh, ended up as a black white pilot, actually. And he also flew the first jet in New Zealand with Commander Mackay. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He flew the first meteor jet in New Zealand. Okay. And I met him down at Parliament House many years later. And we happened to be in Bellamy's having a meal together. And we went over and said something about it. He said, Do you remember? I said, Of course I remember I was there. That's all that. And uh, from there, I tried to go to school, I went overseas. Colin, Colin did a bit of flying, didn't he, Colin? Mm -hmm. You did a bit of flying as well. Oh, I only testing. 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 I did quite a bit of testing of uh, radios and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. In um, in the Hines, in the Avengers, and also Catalinas. Right. Right. Mm. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. We had a narrow escape with Catalina, in that we did 360-hour inspections, and after the inspection. They do a two, two and a half hour test flight, and a lot of the ground crew that worked on the aircraft to go up in it, and I went up in this one. And the tram, they had a tram that was so high, and I'd bend him down, took me out in the, the floor. The, the engine notes changed, they must have just been bending over. But the next thing I know, the nose goes down. And apparently, what the pilot, pilot must have been doing was testing the stalling speed. I didn't, I mean, there's no communication between the crew and the ground staff. We didn't know what was happening. And this just happens out of the blue. That was okay, we got back all right. The very next flight went up, it never came back. Because I think what happened, we never had any result of any inquiry or anything else. But my, there's two per things I think personally could have happened. One, that he went into this stalling uh, thing, but he didn't correct it quite quick enough and the tail dropped. Right. And he, because it, it spun and it went down on the wings, huge wings on the catalinas, came off. And the flight engineer was one of the persons that got out because the flight engineers in that turret yeah. uh, holding the wing up and he got out so the wing must have come off. Or the other thing is that the wireless mechanic had the trailing air rail out uh, yeah. and with a sudden cut back of the engine the aircraft slowed and the trailing air rail might have whipped forward in and taken his riders up and he couldn't do anything. Right. I don't know, I'm only, it's only just my own personal. Yes, yeah. Possibilities of what what could have happened. Yeah, a couple of a couple of the guys, the wireless ops, you had to wind it in before you landed. And yeah, some of them we got to wind it in. Boy, they get in big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, all, they're all sorts of damage. Yeah, that, that's only just two re reasonably possible reasons why it, it could have yeah. not survived. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much, and I really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you to both of you for coming yeah, down. That's all right. It's been really good to yeah. talk to you and listen to your yeah. story. And I could probably think of a few more things, but yeah. not at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You didn't do too badly. Very good. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.